Welcome to Wellness Now, a health and wellness information program brought to you by Valleywise Health and District Medical Group. Each week we go in depth with different healthcare experts on some of your top health questions, getting answers to help you live your best life. Hello and welcome to Wellness Now, presented by Valleywise Health and District Medical Group. I'm your host, Dr. Michael White. We have a very special show for you today, and we're doing things a little differently. I'm here with my friend and colleague, Dr. Frank Lavecchio, a District Medical Group Emergency Medicine Physician at Valleywise Health. Dr. Lavecchio, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, thanks for having me. Today, we're really going to be swapping stories from the hospital and talking about some of the most challenging and some of the more interesting things that we've come across throughout our careers. So, as emergency medicine physician, how long have you been practicing? Uh, I hate to say it, a long time. Longer than you've been alive, I think. <laughs> 1992. All right, so it's not longer than I've been alive, but it's <laughs> close, close. not really, yeah, some, somewhat <laughs> close. Did you know that you always wanted to work in emergency medicine or, you know, being that long, was it just an emerging field back in the early 90s? Oh, in the early 90s, there was, I remember I grew up in New York City and there was less than five residencies. You know, now there's probably five within a block of each other. So it was very, very early. People thought it was kind of crazy to get into something like that. When I got into medical school and I did rotations in the emergency department, rotated through, I said there was nothing else. I felt like that was meant for me. Since that time, I've gone on to do four total specialties and a public health degree. But, you know, ER is always like my heart and the other things make me a better ER doctor. What drew you to this specialty of emergency medicine? As you say, it was fairly new in the early 90s, nah, probably not so new. It was fairly new in the early 90s. Um, what drew you and what attracted you to say, this is where I want to spend my time as a physician? Mm -hmm. In short, it's cool. It's good to know a little bit about everything. I do enjoy that. I thought I'd get very, very bored if I did the same thing over and over again. I know some of my colleagues that are doing great, they just are the world's expert in replacing your knee. And that's what they do. They see patients with knee pain and then they replace their knees and they're the greatest in the world. And I admire that, but I could never do that. I like that one patient can be a little baby, the next person could be some, an older person, the next person could be a trauma, and the next person could be a heart attack. It's really, really fun and it helps me, my personality. I like to keep up on all these things. My interests are diverse. What sort of training does a physician have to go through if they're interested in becoming an emergency medicine doctor? Well, like all of us, we have to go through medical school. So obviously undergraduate, usually four years, then medical school, you know, typically another four years. And then most ER programs are three or four years. Uh, when you do residency, that is where you spend a lot of your time in an emergency department or other departments that help refine your skills or make your skills better. You might spend time in surgery to learn good suturing techniques. You might spend time in pediatrics to make you better uh, pediatric emergency doctor. Um, those are all things to get to the net goal, which is to be a better emergency room doctor. So how accurate, many of us have seen multiple television shows, you know, over the number of years, you know, back to the early, back into that early 80s and 90s when the show Trauma was on TV, as I'm thinking about this, how accurate are some of those shows and some of the more contemporary shows, such as ER, you know, in the 90s, or even, you know, more recently, Grey's Anatomy, which is still on TV today. How accurate are some of those types of shows? 
You know, the funny thing about that is uh, my daughters who barely pay attention to me, sometimes I'll say something and I said, oh, and this guy came in and we did a thoracotomy, which is opening up their chest and they'll blurt out. I'm not thinking they're listening. They'll say, oh, I saw that on Grey's Anatomy. And the funny thing about Grey's Anatomy, a lot of these things, they involve the soap opera stuff of it, you know, and, you know, that's generally discouraged amongst colleagues, but also they all could do everything else. You know, one guy one day will be operating on your chest and taking your heart out. Then the next day he'll be, you know, taking you to the cath lab to help your myocardial infarction. The other funny thing is the portrayal of cardiac arrest. And somebody, I, I regret not doing this study years ago, somebody looked at all the cardiac arrests. One of the shows was ER. And they said, okay, let's look at the cardiac arrests in ER. And over like 90% of them, you know, were better after they got shocked once. And they were all neurologically intact, meaning they were all up, talking, walking, you know, eating a meal, smoking a cigarette, whatever they were. Whereas in reality, it's, you know, you're lucky if it's the opposite, where, you know, 5% of people will, would make it out. And that's like, you know, you know, you pat yourself on the back if 5% of people got up. It sucks for me because when people come in, you say, well, his heart stopped and we, start, we restarted, we gave him some drugs, you know, it's not looking great. And they're like, oh my gosh, you know, I saw it on Grey's Anatomy. The guy walked out of here. Like, well, not like that. Yeah, and I think that's actually one of the more challenging things that we have in that role is, is you know, we see people at their worst, you know, mm -hmm. in the emergency departments as they're coming in. And, that, you know, I think you're right. That cardiac arrest condition is one of those things where we may do everything that we have within our medical knowledge banks to be able to do procedures that we're able to do. And we still may not have that positive outcome. And I think that's where some of these shows really don't help us and portray just the amount of uh, amount of things that we can make maybe physiologically get some things back in a body, but really the person's just not what they were before, personality-wise, neurocognitive-wise, and being able to converse um, as they were before from mm -hmm. that. Yep, I agree. What are some of the most common questions you get asked when somebody finds out that you are an emergency room physician? Um, I always get asked stories. Hey, what are your stories? And having done it for almost like uh, 25, 30 years, I always say, well, you got to give me a category. And a lot of people like, you know, the weird sexual stories that brought them in or sometimes the trauma stories, you know. Um, so basically they ask a lot of cool stories. And then they tell me their story of how they went to an emergency department. And the one thing I've learned from that is by far when you see a patient come into the emergency department, I always tell my residents, this is just a small laceration. You could do this in your sleep. You know, they have a headache and you might get a CAT scan and do these other things. This is the most important day of this person's life, probably to date. And I say, they're going to talk to you. They're going to talk about the way you looked away. You didn't look at them. Maybe you were playing with your pen or playing with your phone when you were talking to them. Every little thing you say or you're looking at, you are on stage. When you walk out of this room, you're on stage with them, especially with them. I always tell them that. If you're just tuning in, we're telling stories from the emergency department with Dr. Frank Lavecchio. Valley's Wellies Health offers exceptional health care at several locations across Maricopa County. If you need medical care or have questions for one of our clinicians, visit valleywisehealth.org to get started. What has surprised you the most about your career in being an emergency department physician? I think uh, some of the misconceptions that we get or, you know, was surprising is the fact that it's not go, go, go all the time. And in fact, sometimes the patients that are really sick are the easiest patients. In the old days, um, somebody would have a heart attack. And, you know, the joke was we used to 
you know, give the medical student rosary beads and an aspirin and say, okay, good luck. But nowadays we call guys like you and you take them to the catheterization lab and it's crazy for 20 minutes, but then they're out. Same thing with strokes now, that's evolving. And trauma care. There's a lot of stuff you're doing. Like nowadays, it's like, you know, all COVID all the time where you're dealing with people with coughs, runny nose, you know, you're checking x-rays on them and it's not as sick as TV portrays it. We like the sicker patients, of course, it's exciting, but most of the patients are not that sick. As you think about this, give us an example of one of the most transformative cases that you've had in your career. What's been one of the most rewarding things that you've seen in what you've been able to do in the emergency department? You know, when you think about cases that stick with you, you know, kids hurt, people come in sometimes and they're your kid's age. I... I know it's a little hard, you know, I have two daughters and sometimes, you know, one of them would be 10 years old and you have a trauma and they're 10 years old and you just kind of feel for it. And for a moment you say, my God, same color hair as my kid. A lot of what we do before we get there is we do simulation labs. We do these labs where you might have a dummy or a fake patient and it's very, very, you know, knee jerk. You kind of say it in your sleep, okay, first I'm going to take care of their breathing, then I'm going to move on and start an IV and I'm going to put them on a monitor. And that is, I don't want to say easy, but a lot of that is routine. A lot of that I'm teaching to the young residents and and students. The hard part is talking to the families because then you realize that patient you just took care of that's really, really sick, there's, you know, a wife or a husband associated with that and that person's like a father or that person's a grandmother. And that stuff sticks with you. That stuff breaks your heart. And, uh, you know, it's hard to get over, like, the kid dying. It's hard to get over the person. Like, everybody has a story. This was a day he retired today, and he was walking to buy me roses, and boom, he got hit by a car and then died. I mean, everybody has a story like that. And those stories play out in my head, you know, 30 years later. It's crazy. It is. You know, we always we practice medicine a while. You'll always get these types of experiences where you've been able to make an impact or seen an impact of patients in, at the worst day in their lives. And I think you explained that very well as, you know, we have the responsibility of here within ValleyWise Health of ed- educating that next generation of healthcare professional. And part of that is teaching them around that, you know, very much as you've articulated that onstage concept of how it's important for us to be there, to be present with the patients, be understanding of this. And how are we going to get them through this probably one of the most challenging days of their entire lives. You talked a little bit, you know, early in there around some of the changes that we've had to make in the emergency department, you know, with COVID-19 disease. How has COVID-19 really impacted the specialty of emergency medicine? How have you been able to go through, you know, early phases in the pandemic now into today? Mm-hmm. You know, I do love that about our about, you know, our ER. I love that about our place. First, you know, we're a training institution. We have to be on our game to train the residents and students. And I personally believe we have, you know, one of the best emergency medicine training programs in the country. You know, when COVID-19 comes out, I feel like I have to educate myself. And I spend, you know, on a, on a bad day, I'll spend an hour reading about what's new with COVID. The way it's changed everything now, it's kind of rough. I think we, we, we've seen, like, how important... Not that I needed this, but we saw how important nurses are. And I think if I was asked to see, there were 10 patients, and they said, Lavecchio, you got to stay late and see 12 patients. It's not a big deal. Okay, great. Make a couple phone calls. You're going to be late for dinner. 
if you told a nurse that you're taking care of two critical patients and now you got to see two more, forget it. Somebody's going to die. You can't do that anymore. You know, I really come to appreciate nurses more. They, they have it rough. They are more of the hands-on people. And one time I compared it to the building, the new building that's going on outside. And I said, if the building was going slow, would you call another architect? I was like, no, you'd call one of those guys, you know, with the hammer, with the welding, you know, with the hard hats on, you know. And I'm kind of like the architect. I said, yeah, do this, give them this antibiotic. Okay, good luck with your admission or good luck going home, you know. So that's one of the things it's taught me. I'm sure it's taught you that too. I mean, you're on the side of calling them and... Yeah, I think you've articulated very well around the importance of us thinking as a system. Important, how important each of us in the roles that we play in the delivery of healthcare. It's been truly remarkable, but I do have to say, we within Valleywise Health and the teams you know, within the emergency department and, the, and the, actually the entire healthcare delivery teams as well, how resilient people have been. We're learning new things every day. And how do we then incorporate some of this knowledge to make this the best place for people to come get care and really be and understand um, how we're able to influence them. So what makes Valleywise Health Emergency Department really stand out from all of those other places around us and within the, you know, the Arizona community? Well, I mean, the short answer is the people. And I would say that I tell some people where I work and sometimes they're turned off by like the neighborhood. Some of them live in nicer neighborhoods. And then they say, I'm going to go to this hospital and blah, blah, blah. And say, oh, who's your ER doctor? I was like, you know, he was one of our graduates 10 years ago. And that's very, very common. Most of, many of the ER doctors in town have graduated our program. I would also say that, you know, we have to keep on top of reading. We have to keep on doing research uh, to, you know, be truthful to our profession. That's one of the obligations we have is to move our field forward, to move the residents uh, forward. And... You know, we do cutting edge research here, I think, in our emergency department. I mean, you know, over the last three or four years, we've gotten close to, you know, five, six million dollars to study stuff. And most recently, we're, we're in the few millions to study COVID, COVID-19. And they don't give it to other ERs that might be considered, quote, better. They know that here is where there's people that are scientists, clinicians, they have young people, you know, looking to contribute. So I, I personally think it's one of the best places to get ER care in, in the state. Dr. Frank Lavecchio is discussing with us some of the values of emergency medicine and its impact within Valleywise Health. You can make a virtual or in-person appointment with a district medical group provider at Valleywise Health by calling 833-855-9973 Monday through Friday from 7.30 a.m. to 5 p.m or by visiting valleywisehealth.org and clicking the book appointment button. Dr. Lovacchio, what are some of the most common reasons that an individual is going to seek care within the emergency department? I guess that all depends upon, you know, where you are in your community. In our community, a lot of people come in for a lot of primary care complaints, but you'd see chest pain-related complaints, you know, we're always making sure they don't have a heart attack or blood clots. A lot of times people come with breathing issues, you know, sometimes it's as simple as asthma, sometimes more complicated as pneumonia or congestive heart failure. Uh, the bumps and bones, uh, bumps and bruises are very, very common. People get lots of cuts or lacerations that have to be repaired, broken bones. Uh, those are the, the top four or five or so. And then certain things, maybe abdominal pain and or, you know, fever related stuff. So lots of infectious disease, lots of trauma, especially at our center. We are a little unique, too, because we see lots of burn cases, uh, and so there's a lot of that also. What 
are some of the things that an individual might expect if they need to come seek care in one of our emergency departments, either here or our emergency department out in Maryvale? Okay. I think the expectation is that things are going to happen pretty quickly. And personally, I think they do happen relatively quickly. But other people sometimes go ahead of you. And the same as, as you would want. If you go in, you have a cough, and you have a fever, and maybe you have pneumonia, somebody might see you, get a chest x-ray, and you know, order some stuff on you. But you say, man, I've been waiting so long, and this guy came in. Well, you know, he might have a knife sticking out of him, or he might be having a heart attack, or a stroke, and there's always this priority. And it's hard for us to give you a time. You know, how long is it going to take for me to be seen? Probably three to four hours. And I always tell you know, colleagues, it's better to give a range than an exact number because you don't know what's coming in through the, through the door next. You know, I think that's always very important is to understand the dynamics and the operations within an emergency department really is. You all and your, your colleagues and in the team within the emergency department are making those decisions to say, you know, we need to be working here for right now till we get this situation stabilized and certainly work through that. And certainly no more apparent than we've seen, you know, in communities around, you know, the country is this concept of triage. And that's really how can we prioritize our resources to the individual care of these patients as we can to go forward and really, you know, make some of those decisions based on the objective findings that we're seeing uh, mm -hmm. from there. Yeah, the triage stuff is hard because you know, there's a soul on the other side of it. And some of my colleagues in New York, when COVID first hit, I was just like, yeah, this person comes in, they got a cough and they want a COVID test. And I go, why is that person even in your emergency department? They're like, you need the National Guard out there, you know, so they don't even make it within 100 yards of your place. And that's what they were doing. And they taught me that lesson. We're a unique environment in the fact that we do have a large, you know, emergency medicine training program. So what does the team within the emergency department look like? Who is there and who might I interact with if I have to have care in the emergency department? You know, lots of times you might see an emergency department resident, somebody that had been out of school for a year or two. And then you might see somebody that's been out for three years or so, you know, maybe ready to graduate. And they might supervise them a little bit. They might supervise a junior person and then somebody like at my level, an attending level, the older guy would supervise them. Sometimes you're even seen by a medical student. So it might be a little tedious, but you might be seen by three or four people before like an answer is given to you. Doesn't mean nothing's getting done, but it also means that more eyes are on you. Um, you know, I, I like to say more knowledge, people that, you know, are inquiring and going in depth. And it's always good to get a couple, you know, two and three other opinions. So a training program sounds like to some it might be a slower process. I think personally it's a better process. It's where people are going to be up to date, who are writing the stuff, you know, reading the stuff, et cetera, and want to give you the best care possible. If you're just tuning in, we're discussing the emergency department uh, with Dr. Frank Lavecchio. From your experience, what are some good tips to avoid ending up in the emergency department for whatever reason? Well, of course, we want you. Um, you know, it's our livelihood. And, you know, it's interesting, insurance companies have come around and said the person describes or the person makes known what the emergency is. If they think it's an emergency, pretty much, you know, it's an emergency. But the ways to avoid an ER, I think, you know, putting on my public health hat for a second, is things like, uh, you know, of course, wearing a seatbelt. You know, seatbelts aren't perfect, and, but they do cut down. Having a car with an airbag if you can. Wearing a helmet when you ride your bicycle, and certainly your motorcycle. 
um, you know, being cautious when you climb up on your roof and, you know, kind of put Christmas lights up or holiday lights up. Those problems we see time and time again. I don't even know why we call them car accidents anymore. You know, it happens all the time, every day. You know, it's just a matter of are we going to see five today or 12 today? Oh, well, it's a, it's a Friday night. Oh, you're going to error more on, you know, 12 patients. But the one thing I'll say, one of the things you could do is get vaccinated. Of course, I'm pro-vaccine for almost all vaccines, but... Right now, you got to get your flu vaccine and COVID-19 vaccine. How can someone be a good patient when they come into the emergency department and best help communicate and cooperate with that healthcare team to, to help us arrive to the best outcome? If I was king for a day and I had to define like the perfect patient, I would say um, somebody, you know, of course, asks questions, knows their medications, knows their past history. And there's a lot of downtime when you're waiting and maybe you could try to acquire that. And if I was on the way out, I would ask for copies of everything if you could. I recommend that all my residents give people copies of their results so they have it to bring to their primary care uh, providers. It's always good if you can, not, it hasn't always been possible with COVID, if you could have somebody with you. Because it's been shown that when I tell you something that, well, we're going to get a CAT scan of your lung and we're going to be looking for cancer, that people stop listening. You know, when they hear something tragic. And then you could say, but I don't think it's cancer. It's most likely pneumonia. We're going to give you an antibiotic and we'll get the antibiotic filled. And if you're not better in two days, you know, come back. And when you say those things to them, they stop them many times. So it's good to have, I guess, for lack of a word, a patient advocate, you know, with you if you could. You know, as we're kind of ending our time here together, you know, if you had to think about, you know, with all the various roles that you've played in, you know, emergency medicine, you know, public health care and things like that, what is one medical school, excuse me, one medical skill that everyone should be able to learn to best help, you know, themselves and those around them? I don't know. We've talked before about like, you know, my international stuff. And one of the things I like to do is to try to teach basic first aid to the developing world. And it turns out like after all is said and done, we're talking about all these drugs that we can give. The simple things uh, really, really help and save lives. So like if you get hurt, uh, you know, how to stabilize somebody, how to control some bleeding, that would be uh, important. You could argue CPR. CPR, if they don't have a pulse, to start it pretty quickly. Those are all things that could help. Yeah, and I think those, you know, are very important is really to understand that emergency departments all across the country are really here to help be that resource, to be that folks that are there. 24 7, 365. You know, we joke about that, but that hospital emergency department is always open. They're always there ready to care. The team is always there ready to be able to help with you. And, you know, those are basic things such as CPR and, again, pressure on a wound and things like that as they're bleeding from that really help get people into those right environments of care. You know, Dr. Lovecki, as we're ending kind of our, our time here together, is there anything in your career around emergency medicine that you would want to see change or get better um, as we're going into the future? That's a, a great question. I think there's a huge discrepancy that COVID put a light on. You know, COVID can't like really see your bank account. It can't see how much money you're making. But that's one of the best predictors of you dying is your socioeconomic status. And I know at the risk of being called a communist or so, I think we need to have some sort of basic health care for everybody. I'm not saying everything, but how about just like, you know, basic vaccines for the kids and, you know, maybe electronic visits on your computer for if you have a cold or something like that. Just the, the, the bare essentials. 
it gets nauseating. I'm sick of it. Like when you see a six-year-old guy with colon cancer that, you know, he doesn't have a doctor, so he never got his colonoscopy. And, you know, something simple like a colonoscopy could have prevented this. And now he's going to die. And before he dies, he's going to spend hundreds and hundreds of thousand dollars that could have been prevented. So hopefully the social inequality will kind of narrow, the gap will narrow a little bit. Couldn't agree more. So Dr. Levecchio, thank you so much for your time today. If you've missed any part of the show or want to hear something again, you can access all of our blogs and podcasts at valuewisehealth.org slash be well. Thank you much and we'll talk again soon. We hope you enjoyed listening to Wellness Now, brought to you by Valleywise Health and District Medical Group. If you're looking for more information about what you heard today, visit us online at valleywisehealth.org slash be well. There you'll find blogs, podcasts, and information about the healthcare providers you heard on the show. You can even book an appointment at a Valleywise Community Health Center near you. That's valleywisehealth.org slash be well. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll tune in again soon.